Read our text and we'll get started. This is God's word. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, we have to say what Jesus said. Uh, Apart from you, we can do nothing. We need your spirit to testify, to show us the beauty of the gospel, uh, to shine the glory of our crucified Savior in our hearts. And so we ask that you would do that, that you would help us to see your goodness, so that we might then do, well, be good to others, that, that you would bless us, that we might be a blessing to, to the nations, especially those that you've placed in relationship with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Bethany and I first moved to Mississippi, it was in 2011 to go to seminary, and it was in the middle of the summer, it was in July, and anyway, it's hot right now. <laughs> I think the heat index was about 115 with 80% humidity, and it was just, well, we stayed inside in the air conditioning and watched everyone else play Ultimate Frisbee and said, why would you ever do that to yourself, right? One of the things we found out as we got there, the longer, uh, warmer season means you can garden for longer, and so we tried our hands at gardening. And what we didn't know as we got started was that around Jackson, Mississippi, the soil is all clay. So doing anything in that to get the soil ready to till is, is hard work. Um, we planted some beans. We planted, I don't, I don't remember what all it was, but you know, it was just a small plot on campus so that the students could get outside and, and do something productive. <laughs> and we failed miserably. <laughs> we put something that, uh, we thought it was fertilizer, I don't know what it was, but nothing grew. We gave up, we tapped out, we had no vegetables, we had to go to Kroger, the grocery store. But I share that with you because even if everyone in this room understands the basics of gardening, even though I had a black thumb, (laughs) I understood the basics. We planted beans expecting beans to grow, right? And kids, if, if you plant an apple tree, an apple seed, and you do all the hard work of trimming it, you know, planting it, fertilizing it, getting it to grow up as a tree, and in several years you finally get excited because there's fruit growing, and you pull off a pear, what do you say? There's amazing apple seeds? (laughs) No, you say, I planted the wrong seeds. Because we all understand this basic principle that what you sow, you will reap. 
It's just how the world works. And that's what Paul is going to talk to us about this morning. In verse 7, God is not mocked, but whatever one sows, that's what he reaps. It's written into the fabric of the universe. And as that is true uh, physically, it is just as true spiritually. So what, what we sow, the things we do, will produce a harvest later in life. Whatever we sow, we will reap. So if you know someone who's betrayed you or hurt you or if you've been through this horrible experience and all you ever do, knowing that you should forgive. Uh, this, is, this is what we do as Christians. We know it's something commanded. But if all you can do is replay the hurt in your mind, um, bitterness sinks in and gossip and slander, there's no way to ever bear the fruit of forgiveness in your life. Because forgiveness doesn't grow and become reality as seeds of bitterness are sown. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And so as we get ready to talk about this, right, these are, some of this is common sense. This is just how life works. But I want to point out, and this is what we really need to see, is sowing and reaping for the Christian is always done in the context of the gospel uh, through our faith. As, as we read this, he's still telling you, this is how you walk by the Spirit. This is how you live out faith in a crucified Savior. Uh, this is how you live in relationship with God and with one another, but it's all based on the assumption that you have the Holy Spirit, that you're a Christian. So in this text, God's telling us how to sow seeds of goodness in our lives and the lives of everyone, whether you see the results or not. I mean, goodness is littered through verses 6 through 10. Share good things with the one who teaches. Take care of your pastor. Verse 10, do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. So be good to everybody, do good, especially your Christian brothers and sisters, the people that God has placed right next to you. And verse 9 says, don't give up, don't be tired. Even though you can't see it yet, don't give up. And that really is the problem, isn't it? I mean, it's the, the obvious part is we know what we sow we're going to reap, but we don't want to do the hard work of waiting. It's, it's cause and effect. We, we try to have an effect, but it takes a long time to see, to see fruit to grow. We get tired. We get impatient. Um, kind of like the farmer who plants half a field and wonders why he doesn't get a whole, a whole crop. And I, I can speak from experience. I want to be a person that Paul describes, someone who's bearing the fruit of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control but I don't want to do through the hard work of learning that through experience because <laughs> it's the only way we learn and so we we look for shortcuts I want answers to prayer right now and I've heard this before I tried praying it's not working and two prayers in uh, Paul says if you persevere there will be a harvest in God's time and so what I want to do this morning is, because this is such a simple idea, I want to put this in the context of the gospel and show you what does this principle of sowing and reaping look like in the life of the Christian uh, and just really in God's world, and then how, how should we put that to work. So the first, the first point is I, I want to talk about, if this is true, that what you sow 
you will reap what God is telling you and I that everything we do matters. Everything, every thought, word, and deed is a seed being sown. Which is a, it's a very simple yet profound thing to say. Right, so you think about all your thought, word, and deeds as grass seed, and you, you've seen the grass seed planters, right? You push them on, and the grass just gets scattered everywhere. That's what we're doing day in and day out through, through our thoughts, uh, through what we say to one another, through what we do to one another. We're just sowing seeds of, well, to, to either the flesh, to our sinful nature, or by faith to the Spirit, out of obedience and love for God. Everything matters. He says, God will not be mocked. You can't, be, you can't ignore this reality. Right? Because of the principle that God, our creator, our Lord, the king of kings, is woven into the fabric of the universe, um, everything counts. It's all written in the book of life, as it says. And, and I know just saying that, um, in our secular culture, that's not... We assume that, but it's not necessarily true, right? Because we live in a culture that's telling you that what you do matters, that everyone's lives matter, which is absolutely true. We're all made in the image of God. But yet at the same time wants to tell you that there is no God. We matter because we matter. That we can do whatever we want without consequences. <laughs> Just do you, you know, li live for your own happiness. And what's fascinating is back in the early 1900s, and these conversations have been going on for a long time. This is nothing new under the sun. There's this British atheist named Bertrand Russell. You might have heard of him. He has this great quote to say, if we're going to say there is no God, let's be honest about what we're saying. So here's, here's a good one. He says, man is the product of causes that had no goal in mind. They had no provision of the end they were achieving. He's just talking about naturalistic evolution, that we came from, from lucky mud, life just sprung into existence, and we don't really know, know what caused it. And he says, so man's origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves and beliefs, they're all just the result of some big accident of atoms happening to come together in a collision, which means that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought or feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That everything we do, all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius, it's all destined to go to extinct in the death of the solar system. And that everything man does will be buried under the debris of a universe in ruins. And that, that is the he says, only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, that, that's, that's, that's how we go to, go to work. I mean, he's being honest. And he's saying, if it is true, there is no God. And we all live like we matter, and what we say and think and do matters. But if it's all destined to go extinct, and the beginning, where we came from, had no plan in mind, Really, nothing matters, so get to work. <laughs> it's saying that, it's the same principle, what, what you sow, you will reap. He's saying, wh what you sow will not matter, because in the end, what you reap will be destroyed, it'll be burned up. 
And we know what this is like. If you've ever done, done anything on a computer, right, this is one of my pet peeves. Ask Bethany. I mean, I, this is where I have to repent a lot. <laughs> is when I'm working on a paper and it all disappears. It didn't happen this week, fortunately. You know, that blue screen of death and you've got to start over. It's that feeling of, oh, no, it's gone and it didn't count. That's human history without God. But nobody's able to live that way. Because we get up in the matter in the morning and we say, okay, I, I know I matter. I want to I do something today. I love the people next to me. That's why we do get out of bed, because eternity is written on our heart, as the scriptures say. Everybody's made in the image of God. And so we all know that what we sow, we will reap. And we expect what we sow to last. Right? I mean, unless you're reading Ecclesiastes every day for your devotional, <laughs> we don't wake up thinking, I don't know what I do is going to matter in 20, 50 years after I'm gone. I mean, the history class that we all went through in high school, right? it's, an isol it's just a picture of a select few who are fortunate enough to be remembered, to do something big or infamous enough <laughs> to be talked about again. But that's not true for most of us. We, we live in obscurity, and we're, we're going to die in obscurity. So that, that's why Paul says, what you sow, you will reap. It's actually good news. I mean, there's a tension for sure because it's saying that we live in a reality as Christians, as human beings, made by God, where everything matters, where no small deed will go unnoticed, nothing done in secret will not be rewarded by your Father in heaven. It's a seed. There are seeds that will bear fruit in your lives for better or for worse. Everything you do matters. And this really is the fabric of the universe that's been written in to creation. And you hear it in Genesis. We, we can go back and put this in the big story where in the beginning God made everything good and he put man in paradise. No sorrow, no sadness, uh, no frustration in our work, no death. And one of the first things God says to Adam and Eve is essentially what you do matters. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and have dominion over everything. And he, he describes to them a picture where you are my kings and queens in my kingdom, and I want you to spread throughout all the earth so that what you do, well, it's going to have eternal significance with me. I want you to be little reflections of my kind of rule throughout the whole world. And the only thing you shouldn't do is eat of this one tree. Right? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you will surely die, and on that day a seed of death will be sown. And of course, we know that's what happened. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve said, we want to do things our way. We want to create our own meaning, our own kingdoms. And it's planted a seed of death and destruction and corruption. And if you look at the world, and this is why I'm a Christian, because it makes the most sense of human experience. That's one of the reasons. I mean, you, well, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones. I mean, just think about it. For all of our scientific advances, for all... <coughs> Our human genius and all our moral superior he superiority here in the 21st century, have we really made the world a better place? I mean, even in our country, we have so much more comfort. And yet when we send mission teams to the other side of the world, we say, man, look at how much happier they are than we. 
and they have less. At one point in, our, in human history, we all, humans believed, and they still do, I'll read about it on the BBC, of how we're going to defeat death through science, that we can recreate paradise, that we can sow, and eventually all these good things are going to come to a happy ending. But then the 20th century happened. And three men, Hitler, Stalin, and Mao, planted seeds of destruction that slaughtered 200 million people probably a conservative estimate. That's the world in which we live, where every deed matters, where every thought, word, and deed sows a seed that will bear fruit for better or for worse. We, we will reap what we sow. And so the good and bad news of the gospel, I mean, the good news is that every deed matters, the bad news is the, good, the bad stuff is remembered too. <laughs> it comes out. It, it, we see fruit in our lives. We're, I mean, if we were to have conversations open and honest, I, I, we could all tell one another of how the seeds of things we did 10 years ago are bearing fruit in our lives now. And I wish I hadn't done that. This is, this is what they say is the eternal weight of glory. That if there is a God, and there is a God, every deed matters. There will be an accounting. Now, the, the second point I want to talk about here is the hard part about reading this passage right now, it doesn't sound very um, gospel-y in line with, if that's a word, it's in line with the rest of Galatians. It doesn't sound as much like good news. Now, why would you end after talking about so much grace by saying what you do matters, God's keeping track. And so I think what's going to help is to connect the big story of sowing and reaping to the gospel, to everything Paul has said before. Because he's not saying what you reap is because of what you've sown um, is completely on its own. He's saying, remember who God your father is, connected to the same father who sent the son to die for you, and also sent his spirit to live in you. And then here in our passage, he says, now that you're walking by the spirit, this is what you must do. And so what I think will help would be to look at the parable of the prodigal son. This is a good summary. We'll come back to it again. It's popular. But it'll help put flesh on sowing and reaping as more than just an abstract principle. And remember the story? Or the, the younger son comes to his father and says, I want what is yours. I want my inheritance. Give, me, give it to me now. Which, of course, is the chief insult. He's saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Give me, give me the money. And in, in the ancient world, I mean, insulting and dishonoring and shaming your father like this was one of the mo worst things you could do. And everybody listening to the story that Jesus is telling assumed that the father would just slap him, kick him, and get out of my presence, how dare you, you little punk. And it, it's a story that cuts across cultures. No culture would assume that the father would give in and say yes. But in, in that world, the way, the way the inheritance worked was the oldest son would get the double the inheritance. 
And so if the father was worth $9 million, that means the oldest son would get $6 million and the youngest son would get $3 million. And so essentially, because this is a wealthy father, essentially the son's saying, make me a millionaire right now. I want to go do what I want. I want to go plant my own seeds with your money. And the father gives in. It just says the father relented and let him go. Now, what do you call this kind of parent in our day? <laughs> you're saying you're, you're spoiling the kid. It says it's not discipline. That's it's foolishness. Why would you it, why would you pay for your child to go waste it? You know, it's sowing and reaping. This is cause and effect. If he gives him the money, we all know he's going to go waste it on whatever he wants to go waste it on. And we know later in the story it was parties and prostitutes, and so you put those together. The father, picturing God, or Jesus intending us to think as, of, telling us what God is like, all of his good gifts were used for parties and prostitutes. And probably the safe way to put it is that God's the Father's generosity and goodness gives the Son the freedom to sin. He makes these choices on his own. It's pretty astounding if you think about it that way. So there are two things I want you to see, that how sowing and reaping works for the prodigal son. One, he's just like me, the younger brother. I don't want to wait. I mean, for the son to get the inheritance is what he had to do. He had to sow being a son. Just be patient. Be in relationship with his father. Uh, do what he asks. And just wait. Eventually, the inheritance is already his by virtue of being a son. All of the father's good gifts are his if he would just wait. But instead, he wanted a shortcut. He wants life, right? He wants life and abundantly. But he doesn't want to walk behind his father. He doesn't want to walk the trail his father set before him. And so think about it this way. The way the Bible conceives of life is like a journey, a, a trail. It's a trail that we walk on. I mean, that's why Paul's saying, walk by the Spirit. It's somebody you fall, follow. That God's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. And deep in every human heart, according to this parable, is a desire for us not to have to take the journey. We just want to get to the end. We, we don't want to be down here. We want to be up here. We don't want to be at the bottom of the mountain. We want to be at the top. And I'm, I'm here in my life right here, right now. I'd rather be up here successful, um, comfortably retired, you know, not alone, married, whatever, that, whatever your version of success looks like. And what the parable is saying is it's showing us that we all take shortcuts. I, I don't want to do the hard work of getting up, coming down, doing to climbing up the mountain. I just want to get up here as fast as possible. And so that's what we do. We cheat to be successful. We provoke and envy one another. Uh, we live in a culture that says, I know marriage is hard work, so I'm not going to commit to one another. Sowing and reaping, 
The list could go on and on. But this is the heart of a prodigal, looking for shortcuts, trying to avoid the patient, slow, hardworking of sowing and reaping, waiting for the harvest. Instead, sowing seeds of destruction. But he says, Dad, I don't want, I don't want you in my life. So I'm gone. That's, that's sowing and reaping for the prodigal. And this is my story. That's your story if we're honest. God tells us that if we obey him, there will be blessing. But that the best thing that we can do is to keep his law. And I look at that and say, that is hard work. I want the good gifts that you have. How do I get around this? good news about this parable is that the father is also someone who sows and reaps. And this is what I want you to see. Because what we forget in the parable is it's really about God being prodigal. It's really about God being generous and good. It's about him being the father that nobody expected. And it's telling two stories. While the, the younger and older brothers are out sowing seeds of destruction in their lives, the father intentionally put down an investment of a third of his estate. He could have said no. Think about this. He could have said no. Right? And when nobody would question the wisdom of it. Say, you're, you're a good dad. Why, why would you give up that much money just so you can go waste it? But think about it. And then the son sticks around. And out of bitterness and frustration, he just does the right thing. After the father dies, and then this whole story plays itself out, he goes out, wastes all his money, hits rock bottom. Where would he go? Father's gone. The older brother obviously doesn't like his brother. You know, that son of yours, he says. And so it's actually an act of love that the father is this good to his younger son. He sows seeds of kindness and goodness and generosity, all with the goal that the son down the road, as he hits rock bottom, would look back and say, I have a father who's good who will welcome me home. And then he just waits. He says, here's the money. And he spends however long it takes, years, to anxiously scan the horizon waiting for his son to come home, waiting for the harvest. See, God's a farmer. He plants seeds by being good to us. And then he waits for us to see it so that we would say, oh, sh life is so much better with him than out here on my own, so maybe I should go home. And what brings the prodigal home is goodness. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Do you see it? I mean, grace is a farming business where you just plant seeds of kindness and wait. Wait for people to see it. Wait for them to come home. Wait to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would love me like that. Right. There's a pastor who tells this, his own testimony that when he was the prodigal son, out living on his own, he couldn't hold his own job, uh, could barely put food on the table. He came to a point where he couldn't pay rent, so he called home and he called his dad and said, Dad, I have no money for rent. 
His dad said, okay, let, meet me at a restaurant. And he just handed him a blank check and said, there, write, take what you need. This will hold you over until you can find another job. And he lost the job because he just wasn't showing up. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't uh, any good reason. It was just being, being selfish. And this guy tells the story, his own testimony, and saying, you know, I took complete advantage of that. I actually went, now that I saw my dad's signature, I actually mastered forging it, so I'd sneak back into the house to write more checks. I went like six months without paying rent, without spending any of my money on anything. And yet he tells his story, he says, you know, my dad never said anything to me about those checks, even though he was fully aware. He says, you know what brought me home? It wasn't the fact that all the, the yelling and ranting and raving, it wasn't the law that brought me home. It was grace. It was my father who was generous. That's what's happening in the parable. It's that God gives us gifts, sowing seeds, so that we might come and see that he really has been right there pursuing us all along. Right? Just ask the question, how good has God been to you? What gifts do you have that you've been taking for granted? It's a sign that you have a good father. The fact that we're here, we're healthy. Um, the fact that we have friends, that we have family, we have food on the table. We live in one of the most prosperous nations in the history of the world. All the talents we have. Every good and perfect gift comes from our father above. Those are seeds that God has planted to try and get your attention even as we run off and use them and spend them wastefully. Of course, ultimately, the seed that he's planting is the gospel. Right? The scriptures describe the seed sown as the word of God, and Peter says it's Christ crucified. It's the goodness of God wrapped in human flesh, his Father who gave and gave abundantly. Such a beautiful picture. This is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, the Father, the father will honor him. You hear what he's saying? He's from John chapter 12, he's just saying, I'm the seed that the Father's sowing. My blood's going to be spilled. And for all of human history, God's just going to wait for people to see it. And God the Father has had 2,000 years patiently waiting for us to be born so that we might taste and see that he is good. Now, I, I've heard people ask, why, why hasn't God made get rid of all these sad things and then the answer is he's waiting for us he's waiting for you he's he's so sovereign and so good he's able to use our foolishness to plant a seed that would work out for our good because christ dies for our sins right? we meant it for evil and god meant it for our good all to reap eternal life This whole principle that's implanted in the universe, it was put there to show how 
they'll show the wisdom and the power and the goodness and the glory and grace of God your Father to prepare the world for Christ to come. And so when Paul comes down then and tells us, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, you will get everything you've deserved outside of Christ. But in Christ, you get everything you don't deserve because Christ earned it. He sowed goodness. And then he comes along and says, now that you see that every deed matters, Christ died for every deed that we have done. Now I want you to sow like your father and your brother. This really is the whole point. God never tells us to do something he is not already doing. And he never tells us to do something that Christ has not already done for us. The, the command to be good here in our text, for example, to everybody, that's what the Father's been doing for all of human history. It's making the sun come up in the morning. Right? Rain falls on, on everybody, whether they're good or bad. It's what God the Son has done, giving his life. It's what the Spirit is now doing, calling us, to reflect the image of our Father who is good to everyone, especially believers in Christ. Reflect that to the world. So what does it mean to do good? I see here in verse 6, to do good. Uh, be, it's talking about a generosity, a generosity of spirit. I mean, Paul says, one who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches it's not necessarily a command to give to your pastor. It's a command to share with those who teach you. It's saying you have been given good gifts. Now share them, physical gifts, with those who teach you. And the pastor has been given good gifts, uh, the gifts of teaching. And I'm sharing with you. We fellowship one an with one another. That's the word. It's a, to share is koinonia, the word for fellowship. Saying you've been bought with a price, bought with the blood of Jesus. All the resources you have are a gift. So use your talents, your money, and your time to show the world who Christ is. Um, verse 10, do good to everyone, especially those next to you, your fellow Christians. Saying look for opportunities to be helpful, to be good, to reflect the generosity, that, to give what you've been, out of what you've been given. Saw it this past week, well, the, the tragedy and horror in Orlando, uh, the shooting of the, the, the gay nightclub. Uh, but that day, as loads of people were lining up to give blood for the victims, really a lot of people in the LGBT community, Chick-fil-A, a local Chick-fil-A restaurant, volunteered to open on a Sunday when, on which they normally are not open to make free lunches for everyone in line. Good to everyone. I mean, if you, if you follow the history, I mean, Chick-fil-A is uh, run by Christians and they took a lot of flack for holding to the traditional view of marriage. And here they are giving a cup of cold water and a meal to people that the world perceives as their enemies. Do good to everyone. So, Maybe the way to apply this is just to think about this. How generous are you? That's, that's really what the gospel says. I mean, in the Old Testament, it gave particular laws. To say this is how you must spend your money, give a tithe, give an X percentage. Um, in the New Testament, it says Christ gave his whole, all of his life to you. Now, now, go and do likewise. 
So one of the simple ways, be good to everyone. How, how good of a tipper are you? I mean, it's really simple. I mean, how much would it surprise your waiter or waitress if, if you gave a really good tip even though they were rude and, and, and not very helpful? That, that's, that's sowing a seed of goodness. Even more particular, we're bound to do good to one another as Christians. That's what, what Paul's saying. Be good to the household of faith. Be generous with one another. Bring meals. Uh, eating together. Give up time. It's everything we talked about last week. Gently restoring. I mean, it, it's a vision of a shared life with one another that we give because God has given to us. And I know it's abstract because it's hard to know what your particular situation is, but it's saying we're bound to one another. We're, we're called to be good as God is good. And the cool thing is, is 300 years after this letter was written, we have a letter from a Roman emperor, Julian, complaining about the Galatian Christians. He's, he's talking about the Greek and Roman priests and trying to give them instructions on how they should live. And they're saying, well, look at those Christians. They're kind to strangers. They bury their dead. They bury our dead. They live a sober lifestyle. And it's actually disgraceful that no impious Galilean uh, is poor. They take care of our poor and their poor. And he's talking about the region of Galatia. That the early church was promiscuous with their money. <laughs> they were just imitating their God their Father who sows so that people would see that God is good. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. That everything we do matters. And God will honor it. We just have to be patient. So, in conclusion, saying, yet we have a choice. We know that everything matters. And we're called to, out of faith in the gospel, to sow to the Spirit, which is another way of saying, imitate your Father. Because that's the whole goal of redemption, is that Jesus came to show us what God our Father is like, and now that we are Christians, we are being conformed in the image of Jesus so that we, too, might look like our Father. And so, how are you going to view your life? I think what's helpful to see is that what you sow, you will reap. Life is a trajectory. We're, we're in the farming business. It's going to take time. This whole idea of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> It's not how life works. Because life isn't a shortcut or a series of isolated incidents that has no bearing on who we are. We're sowing seed constantly. And if you want to know what sowing seed looks like, look at Christ. It looks like dying. It's going to hurt. But the journey to the top of the mountain is more of a J-shape as we come down into death and God brings us up in resurrection. But the promise of God is that we give whether we're thanked or not, we will be rewarded. That if we actually, if we are good, good <laughs> if we go through the dying to ourselves, we serve a God who delights in resurrection and in delights in giving us good gifts. 
And as Jesus says, anyone who gives, gives up mother or father or brother or house will be given so much more in the kingdom of heaven. This is what the gospel leads to. The gospel will lead to lives that will on the outside look completely unfair because we give and give. But but it will be a life of goodness that God will balance the scale in the end. It's not karma. Because the good news is if God gives us rewards for spending his gifts wisely, it's all of grace to begin with, end to end. You know, this morning I was thinking about my sermon, trying to figure out how to apply this and how to end. Is Paul saying, walk by the Spirit? And as I'm thinking about this, walking back and forth in the hallway, trying to get everyone ready, getting the kids ready, I'm realizing that's, that's what it's about. That my kids are following me, doing everything I do, getting into clothes, you know, getting into... They repeat everything I do. When Paul says walk by the Spirit, he's saying follow the Spirit who's trying to make you look like your father. My kids are going to act like me no matter how hard they try not to. In about 30, they'll just accept it. (laughs) That's what the gospel is calling us to do, to sow seeds through the Spirit by meditating on who Christ is. And then God, through time, will make us look like himself. I pray that God would make that true of us. Let's pray. Father, we looked at a big picture view of of who you are and what you've done in the world. And on Father's Day, this is uh, good news to see that we, we have the privilege of reflecting your goodness to us. So I pray for those of us who are fathers that we would learn to parent planting seeds that will lead to our children coming to faith. I pray for us as a church that we would sow seeds of goodness among one another that we might uh, see fruit. And I pray for those who, who are reaping the consequences of, of decisions they've made, that they would see uh, your seed planted for them, Jesus Christ crucified, and experience the great welcome that we have that you so, there's more rejoicing in heaven as a sinner comes home. There's a great feast waiting. That we look forward to that day and ask that you would make us a church that reflects your goodness in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.